Hey, fiends of the pod, this is your host, Nate Wyckoff, and I want to remind you, go ahead and like and subscribe and check out cultandclassicfilms.com where you can get uh, cult movies exclusive to us with uh, all sorts of extras like pogs, we're supposed to call them milk caps. They're not pogs, I don't know what pogs are. Autographed posters, slip covers, all sorts of neat things. You can also subscribe to have them delivered to your door every month at a discount. That is cultandclassicfilms.com. Uh, remember, like, subscribe, comment, and uh, refer to your friends, even your enemies. Every time you like and subscribe, we make sure Michael Sarah makes another film. Yeah, that's right. It's us. <laughs> Enjoy. Welcome to Cult and Classic. <laughs> Raven with my five-year-olds. Yeah, tonight. yeah. You were you were at like so, a, yeah. a smoke bubble Ooh. Halloween rave. Oh yeah, like like you do, you know. <laughs> just, just a normal Massachusetts evening. My, yeah, my my neighborhood is pretty awesome. Uh, actually, there's just this house that just does a thing for a couple weeks, like every night, and it they had smoke bubbles today. I'd never even seen a smoke bubble machine before. Mind blown. So, like when like, you pop it, like smoke comes out, right? Yes. It has a, yeah. Wild. So, like the bubbles are like super opaque. So if it's like at night and there's a light show, like they really, really show up in the dark. Versus like clear bubbles that you Weird. can't really see that much. Yeah. And there's fog that comes out around them. So like they really, really show up. And then when you pop the bubbles, there's like a little smoke explosion because there was bubble, like there was smoke encapsulated inside the bubble. That's so cool. Like that, that would be great for like a spaceship scene or something in a, a low budget <laughs> flick. As we cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you like pop them with your, like, you know, your finger, the fingertip is kind of the best way to pop them for the visual. Cause then it was just like, like magic. That's like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. One of my cats so, would think of that. Fun. So it was definitely, I mean, for me worth staying up later to do podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, we're starting a little bit late, but not too bad. And uh, we are, I'm of course your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. I'm really excited. This is our, um, double feature this is part one uh but it's the priests in peril double feature and mandy specifically you've been asking for us part two and so i uh paired it with part yeah. one we're gonna be talking about today 1977's exorcist to the heretic it is the sequel to exorcist from 1977 there is so much so much production <laughs> uh history and and tidbits about this movie um very very excited to talk about it so this is I'm a big fan of The Exorcist, and I, as our very first podcast episode here was talking about, our very first movie was talking about Exorcist 3, aka Legion, which um, was written and directed from his book uh, by William Peter Blatty, who of course wrote the original Exorcist book and the screenplay for the famed original film. He hated this movie so much that <laughs> he basically like, muscled his way apparently to get um the third one made which didn't get made until i think 1980 like 13 years after this film so exorcist 2 was wow. considered like a, a, all making a third film like erases the previous film yeah not i mean it, this was sort of a, an early version <laughs> of that you know now we do that all the time you know especially with comic movies being so popular they'll yeah. retcon a movie like with the snap of a finger with the next movie it doesn't really phase them like, how many spider-mans are we on now like i, I know like this is the thousand? i don't even know the third unless you count the you know the 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 live action tv series <laughs> and their tv movies it's just 
this yeah so the exorcist 3 you can go back and listen it's our very first episode we paired it with uh donald farmer's shark exorcist and spoiler alert shark exorcist 2 is coming out soon and we will definitely be talking about it uh jeff who hasn't been on for a while but is still uh active member of the cult and classic films pod uh is gonna come back for shark exorcist 2 he he actually watched the first one like I think several times because he was so trying to figure it out, which I think might be might be a a, a um, might not be possible, but I'm glad he gave the effort to it. So we're we paired this movie with next week's feature, Velocipastor from 2018, which is probably I mean it's one of the more famous uh, low budget cult goofball movies to come out um, in like you know in the 2010s i think because it got picked up for streaming by amazon prime and uh it just it's the premise is so goofy a pastor who um becomes uh basically a, a velociraptor werewolf a were velociraptor uh and, and tries to fight crime with it it's just it's wild and there's ninjas so anyway, we'll, talk, we'll talk about it next week it's it's an exciting there don't one seem to be very many rules his whole body doesn't no, have to change no like, and i mean it's amazing it's there's a lot there's a lot to talk about i mean you know we we've i mean hey we release uh low budget films uh now here at colton classic you can check them out at coltonclassicfilms.com or subscribe to get them monthly at uh, patreon.com slash films. so cheap only twenty dollars 25 for a collector's edition every month anyway uh, back to this yeah um Velocipastor. uh we're gonna talk about it there's a lot to talk about it's gonna be fun there is even believe it or not even more from the production side to talk about this week with exorcist 2 so the plot you know anybody that's seen the exorcist and i think that's most people uh around today have have seen the exorcist the original film and it launched linda Bear, blair's career i mean she's been acting since i think she was like five years old uh she was and you know still she appears in some things and, and uh, she's done just a huge amount of movies and is sort of an icon especially for those of us into cult and genre films i mean everything from horror to action to um women in prison films uh you know she's she's done them all and uh, she was even a guest judge on uh rupaul's drag race so she's done everything she's fantastic we actually talked about one of her movies with our uh back when we talked about uh, what was it called? I forget what it's even called, but it was with um, David Hasselhoff and and her. There were two names. Uh, Something in the Bean was one of the versions. Anyway, great film. You can go check it out. Dig through our uh, past catalog. You'll find all sorts of fun stuff. But we've talked about Linda Blair before. She's great. So The Exorcist involves a young Linda Blair being possessed by the the demon which uh is is, is called pazuzu uh i don't even know that pazuzu is actually mentioned in the original theater cut of the exorcist as the name but uh regardless in later incarnations uh, it is that is the name given it was a fantastic film creeped people out there were all sorts of stories uh still still circulating about how it was a cursed film uh prince caught fire people were injured um theaters wouldn't show it people were screaming that the the catholic church denouncing it uh all sorts of crazy things because it is a very catholic based faith film uh and it it sort of ends with the the seeming death of of catholic priests trying to exercise uh, linda blair's character and it's just it's truly if you've never seen it, uh, you really should see it as a as a fan of cinema, not just horror cinema, but cinema in general, because you kind of need it as a reference for so many things today. Uh, and it's it 
the, the horror films that come out in theaters today, and I'm not speaking of everything, A24 and some others do some very interesting, edgy things. I mean, edgy is kind of a dirty word now, right? We, we think of edgelord. We think of just dark, hot topic for the sake of hot topic kind of vibe. But it, it's... <laughs> It's this one's called the heretic, uh, but the exorcist is very heretical. Uh, it is it is really intense, especially for those who are consider themselves devout Catholics. It's a bit terrifying. So the exorcist scared people, huge hubbub, incredibly successful film. And then the exorcist two comes out a few years later, like what, three years later or something. Anyway, uh, comes out later in 1977 and it is apparently laughed at in the 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 premiere and early screenings uh with people in los angeles throwing things at the screen um there's a story that apparently a warner brothers executive told to i think the original the first film's director william friedkin about um the movie getting part way in and we'll talk about where uh and it becoming so ridiculous to the audiences who loved the exorcist that um they got up and one was like the people who made it are here and they chased the producers out onto the street um so it's really like this was a big deal there were there were there were essentially riots uh, to some extent yeah so because of this film it's considered one of the worst sequels of all time we'll talk about whether it deserves that or not um i personally had only watched it once before which is saying something because i was incredibly disappointed in it because i didn't know back this is years ago when i first watched it i loved the exorcist so much when i was like oh there's a sequel uh and i, I knew about legion the, the third sequel uh because i'd read the book this one i was like oh so excited watch it and i was like oh this is why i haven't heard of it uh there's there's some problems uh this <laughs> is real sense. rough um so yeah. and now of course as you're listening to this and as we're recording it um the exorcist believers is in theaters right now which has given me a new insight into Exorcist 2, I will say that. So anyway, the plot of Exorcist 2 is that Linda Blair's character is a few years older. She's still a young woman. And a a priest is sent to talk to her because the, the, the elderly priest who died uh, trying to exorcise her from the first film is being defamed in the church. And uh, the I think a, the cardinal of this region sends... Uh, this particular priest who is a friend of the dead man's to go and sort of find out the details, prove it was a a legitimate possession and mm -hmm. um, find evidence. And that way sort of clear the dead priest's name, get people to stop saying essentially he was a fake or, or whatever. And that, okay. Right. I mean, that's not, it's not what I would do for the sequel, but there's, you could work with something like that, right? You again, you have Linda Blair, you have a priest going to determine if something's actually, you know, demonic, etc. On board enough, and then it goes off the rails because Linda Blair is working with a therapist at some sort of weird Montessori um, children with disabilities ward. I don't carnival ride, carnival mirror. ride. It, it's really bizarre. <laughs> um, there's just basically, and I'm not this. I'm not being flippant about this. They basically just took several children with disabilities, uh, several, especially children with Down syndrome, and just put them in the background doing games, carnival games, just wandering around, weird things. Um, yeah, very. I was weird. just thinking like Hall of Mirrors, like her yeah, office totally. is like like it's, Hall of Mirrors carnival esque weirdness. I forget what the um what the the French prison is called where. It's like 
there's a center column and all the cells radiate from that center column and they have tiny holes from the center that can peer into the cells. And the idea is, is that very few guards can see everyone and the prisoners never know when they're being watched. So it oh, sort of wow. reads this terror and um, it is it, a really fascinating thing, but that's sort of like what this was, right? The, the offices are in these round glass chambers throughout the room. So you can in theory see a bunch of, you know, everyone around, but it, it makes no sense. And also it's irrelevant to the plot. So there you go. Right. Um, which is so indicative. And also of how this... so unsettling because they don't really like show you that that's what their offices are like. No. She goes in for like a therapy session, like in a fishbowl. has a therapy session in wherever. Why don't you just Wait. have them in a phone booth on the street? You know, like, like where just... you can see it, even if it's like, and then you realize, oh, people can't see it. And it's like kind of like one way glass I, from the outside i don't know then, I, but like you, you don't do that you don't want to be like s surrounded in a crowd like that doesn't work it's real <laughs> terrible it was just so unsettling i was so uncomfortable yes <laughs> and also it's distracting for like especially because yeah. it's not like you said it's not referenced so yeah. it, it makes no sense um anyway so regan is being treated by um this doctor uh played by louise fletcher who is you know uh, these are this this cast is incredible frankly it is an incredible cast uh we will go into it but uh louise fletcher plays uh dr tuscan who is her sort of psychotherapist and basically linda's been having nightmares sort of reliving events from the possession which hey i can understand that the mm. doctor linda's trying mm. to convince the doctor that everything's fine and the dreams are gone but of course they're not uh mm. This is where people lost their mind and where I also lost my mind when this when I first watched this film. They quickly introduce a thing called the synthesizer, which, by the <laughs> way, there are already things called synthesizers. They're musical instruments. Um, and it connects people's brains so you can enter someone else's dreams, a la Dreamscape with Dennis Quaid. Um, this is like part of the thing about the exorcist is it took place in the real world they built it into you know a, a supernatural presence invading what we think of as reality and that's terrifying the fact that they created this goofball science toy um <laughs> completely throws that out the window right all of a sudden you're expected to believe something so outlandish that even in the late 70s everybody's like this doesn't exist. This isn't even close to existing. And it doesn't even make any sense. Dreams aren't like that. Like, it just didn't make any sense. But they totally, they handled it in the most ham-fisted way possible. Uh, literally, you go into someone's dream. And of course, basically, the demon is somehow residing in Linda Blair's, uh, Regan's head, kind oh. of, and can affect people it, who are it in the wasn't dreams. Even, it wasn't even good like that J-Lo movie. <laughs> oh. quote-unquote good. <laughs> uh he's like the dream therapist like very similarly sound, like yeah, yeah, yeah people um, who are like you know um having severe issues like she goes into their dreamscapes with them and like helps them out but yeah, yeah like and i mean not, aside from the not quote, quote unquote good like that movie was right and i mean you know i wasn't even a huge fan of the cell it's visually stunning but the thing is, yeah, is, is they they delivered that device for the plot mm -hmm. immediately and so yeah. you understood, oh, this is what I need to buy into to watch this mm -hmm. film. It'd be mm -hmm. like the way they did this with the sequel is sort of like if we had, um, if you took Saving Private Ryan and you made a sequel where um, they brought Ryan back in an android body in uh, 1960. 
Like, okay. you'd be like, wait a minute, the fuck? Like, what am I supposed <laughs> to, how am I supposed to even connect this? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't check yeah. out. Uh, so that's where a lot of people lost their mind, understandably, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And the plot, this movie is narratively a huge mess. It's very difficult to separate all of the different components. They tried to cram mm -hmm. all sorts of things. So we have Linda Blair having visions of not just her demon-possessed self, mm -hmm. but a the, an African village where there's a, a demonic swarm of locusts and a young boy has sort of healing powers and is considered kind of... Uh, for lack of for, for white person term shamanic um i know that's not a white term but we now use that in white culture for everything that isn't judeo-christian and uh so not to be flippant but i'm apparently being really flippant this episode but it's hard not to with this movie because they're heavy-handed and they don't know what they're doing so mm -hmm. anyway she sees that and it then turns out to be james Earl jones uh who was possessed and then um apparently uh, exercise not by father Marin, who is played by max von Sydow in the original film and returns very briefly here uh but anyway through a long series of events the the new priest who is played by none other than former elizabeth taylor uh husband richard burton i mean this is this is we're not kidding with this cast linda blair richard burton louise fletcher max von Sydow, paul henry i mean of course james robone ned Beatty is in this it is bonkers who they got for this film um and and everyone everyone is wasted every single person yeah um because the plot is insane so anyway the the priest richard burton goes he seems to not really believe he seems to be having a, a sort of a crisis of faith which again is a retread of the much better crisis of faith in the original exorcist uh mm. and it just you're you're kind of rehashing things while cramming a bunch of other elements in, and uh, and they end up Pazuzu ends up being still tormenting Linda Blair. She almost steps off her balcony skyrise building, which apparently was a real skyrise, and there are no supports. And she actually was standing on the edge. I don't know if that's true. Uh, it seems a little sketchy to me, but um, hey, it was a sketchy production, so it's possible. And they end up going the the richard burton's character ends up going to find this boy from uh linda blair's dream visions uh who's now a man james Earl jones and he goes to find him because he fought pazuzu so he survived pazuzu an exorcism so he wants to know how ironically linda blair also survived an exorcism by pazuzu so it's kind of confusing why this is why um the, the little trick that they try and do, and they don't really hit it well enough to be super clear, I think, uh, especially if you're a first-time viewer, is that Pazuzu is the one Richard Burton is talking to in these visions uh, that, that Linda Blair seems to impart to him, I guess. He's the one that is taking on the wings of a locust, uh, Richard Burton, to these locations to help him find James Earl Jones' character. And the implication then is that Pazuzu is actually like uh, Richard Burton's character of the priest is actually entering into a relationship, uh, of course, very anti-Christian relationship with the evil Pazuzu by accepting his help to do this. Now that I find an interesting concept, right? Because it's a different way to entice uh, a, a, a theoretically pure good person to uh, to be evil, right? You're helping them do something kind for someone else i.e helping him find help for linda blair that is though it's so poorly done 
and touched on that like everything else even the things that are if, if you're watching the video of this my hair is straight up out of control i have to get it looks like i'm wearing a bad toupee and it is in my face um but uh if you're listening sorry so it's just a mess i mean it's a real mess and uh we have snippets i think of actual potential brilliance visually especially there's some cool effects but we have a lot of half-hearted both acting i think uh especially on richard burton's part as the priest and we have a lot of threads that are never tied uh and then we have an ending that just is it's real i i, I anyway it's still mandy good. Right. It's yeah. Nothing. Something. Um, yeah. It's it's nothing yet something. Mandy, <laughs> what were you expecting going into this film? And what did you what did you come away thinking about The Exorcist 2, which they wanted to call the heretic by itself, but the studio said no, people need to understand this is related. Uh yeah, the they, we, we need to actually tell them this is an exorcist film, or <laughs> they will not know. Like no one's going to pick that up. Uh oh man. Honest, you know, honestly, I will admit, like. I cannot recall actually ever seeing the original Exorcist. I have Blast seen many. <laughs> I know, right? Like I've seen many of the other like sequels mm -hmm. that were released more in the time that we would have been going. Exorcist: to The Beginning, like, yeah, nineties or whatever. So, like I remember a bunch. I think I owned a few like copies of like DVDs of a couple of the later and ones. That was Dominion, yeah, yeah. The prequel to Exorcist. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I. I guess I was expecting more of like what the later ones were like. We're like, oh, good horror film, possessed yeah. person, like shenanigans. More religious haunting. context is what one probably, of the probably yeah, more religious yeah. context. Um, and then what we got was this hot mess that you described, uh, just absolute weirdness. Mm -hmm. Like I was uncomfortable with how um, the people with uh, differently abledness or yeah. like different kind of brains were like presented in this film they're just used um, as colorful background flavor um, like so there's that one scene with the girl who they labeled as autistic who was nonverbal, and then um because because spoke, like the mom goes like kind of bonkers which i can totally understand if had like an eight or nine year old child who never spoken before and suddenly started to speak right uh, i might lose lose it a bit uh, but the, it was just like it was just like I was like why why show this main character's ability to heal because that was also a a minor plot point that yeah that never wasn't comes to like anything. really built up as much as it should have been because yeah. it ended up being like a pretty key part of the plot or like driver of the plot and yet it I, I felt like they just buried the lead. And I'm yeah. like, oh, she's so good. That's why she's being possessed. Like he's because he's just trying to take out the good ones, sort of, you know. Yeah. Um, it... so that's that's why they're picked. And like they just totally kind of buried the lead and then like used the example as her helping someone who is labeled autistic and nonverbal, like to just speak and how important that was to their caregivers and people around them. I was like I don't know. I was like, that didn't age well, in my opinion. No, it's it's sort of like, I mean, it, it seems a little exploitative, which is funny because yeah. uh, so John Borman directed mm. this movie and also credited himself as a co-writer because he uh, changed the script a lot, which we will talk about, I'll talk about in a minute. 
Yeah. Um, but John Borman, uh, Sir John Borman, he was actually knighted, I believe, is, I mean, he's made some famous films. Uh, and he's also uh, himself, I, I believe he always self-identified as a Catholic. He went to Catholic school. Anyway, um, but he produced a lot of pretty big films. I mean, he did The Tailor of Panama in 2001. He was working until very recently. Um, I think most people listening to this podcast will probably remember him more from uh, Excalibur from 81 uh, or Zardoz from 74 um, or most likely uh, as the director of Deliverance from 1972, the um, backwoods uh, banjo playing rapists film um what's crazy about this to me and it, i can only imagine it stems from his uh, uh religious background which william peter blatty has very much so and that is why he deals with the themes of christianity and, and judo uh, and judaism so heavily in his books and films i can only imagine that that flavored john borman's view of the first exorcist film because he he said he hated it he did not like it um, he actually was asked, I believe, before William Friedkin, who directed the first one, to direct it. And he he said no, because he thought the script was, uh, I mean, he used terms like like disgusting and, and I think vile. Um, yeah. He thought it was exploitative, particularly of, uh, of the child actor who turned out to be Linda Blair. That was also the view of, of several other critics. Um, but I'm like, you, you think that this film is too much. Yet you've made deliverance and <laughs> and you also <laughs> and you also made Zardoz instead of the first Exorcist film, which features if no one's ever seen that, please go check it out. It, it's its biggest claim to fame is featuring Sean Connery in a red um bondage leather vest thong for the entire film. Uh it is bonkers banana sandwich. Charlotte Rampling uh, is his uh, <laughs> is his co-star in that. But anyway, so it really strikes me as funny that that is sort of was his takeaway from The Exorcist. So what he wanted to do with this, according to him, is he wasn't he wanted to make a a film where there was hope, right? Where it was actually sort of the antithesis to the first Exorcist film because the first Exorcist film, Linda Blair is is freed of possession. However, it mm -hmm. costs the lives of uh theoretically of several people right we find out mm -hmm. in, in legion that one person um i guess it did cost their lives essentially but anyway it, it has a bleak ending um for many uh but it's i would argue it's not completely bleak right mm -hmm. it's a sacrifice thing and christianity is all about sacrifice so in well <laughs> if you read the book as opposed mm -hmm. to uh listening to um, pundits and evangelical. I say by definition. Yeah, it's about uh, okay. sacrifice, right? You know, read things, listen, listen to, yeah. uh, listen to audiobooks. Let's let's educate ourselves here. So that was his view, and this film, and so you can see some of that kind of shoehorned in here with like, she's a healer, and she's one of the really good ones, and that's why Pazuzu is trying to to get rid of her, much like she tried to get he tried to get rid of James Earl Jones' character in Africa because he was a healer. He had a special presumably god-given power what mm -hmm. is stupid about that in my opinion as a viewer and i think what a lot of people even if they didn't put into words hated about that concept and that part of the movie in addition to things like the synthesizer dream machine is mm -hmm. that it it's like it's like in star wars episode one where george lucas tried to explain the force 
as tiny creatures mm -hmm. living in the bloodstream, right? The midichlorians. Mm -hmm. it, a lot of people hated that because it removed the mysticism from it and it made it science. I know why he was doing it, right? He wanted to bring science and religion together, right? He wanted mm -hmm. to bring, to, to say basically, look, you can combine faith of some kind, like faith in the force mm -hmm. and this connection between all things with a physical recordable thing. And it's a be beautiful idea, but you can't do it in a nuanced way, right? That like would the take quantitative metrics are not nuanced. Exactly. Like, and you couldn't get there, like, unless there was a, a you know, a several thousand page reading of philosophy to get there, it's not going to happen. It just, it just feels, mm -hmm. you know, clumsy. And, yeah. uh, and that's sort of the vibe that I get from Linda Blair, the reason the demon goes after her, because it removes that whole, anyone could have been affected by this. And the mm -hmm. fact that it's a right. child, right, is all the more terrifying because mm -hmm. they're not safe. You can't protect them. So when it's only or specifically people who have some sort of mark, essentially, or some sort of quote unquote yeah. gift, it, it takes it into mm -hmm. a very cheesy direction. Um, you might as well have had aliens coming down and only abducting people who had, you know, you know, who were members of Mensa. Like it just, it becomes, mm -hmm. it becomes cliched. Um, mm -hmm. And I heard, I read one famous review uh, from when it came out that had sort of the statement that their, their overall view is that the movie was very bad, though there were flashes of brilliance. And I will say that I could see that there are several concepts in this film that were not borne out by the actual film, by the pl full plot. Um, and there were actually some really cool uh, effects. I actually really liked um, the the sort of aerial flying scenes with the locust where essentially uh, you know the father's spirit or his his psychic mind is flying is being led with Pazuzu on the wings of this locust that was that was neat um and father Lamont is the name of Richard Burton's priest uh, so that's kind of cool um <laughs> as much as it's very heavy-handed in a it feels inauthentic uh the the design of james earl jones african getup, like it's it's very cliched um, who, and i mean it could be you know we know that the cliche is born from some reality right but it's a stereotype that he's covered in gold bands and sits on the throne of a uh, in this case a locust he has a big locust helmet mask thing on um it turns out it's a vision and actually his character is an adult and the only thing he knows about being exercised is that his mother told him that that was the case back in the day, but he's now he's a scientist and he's helping uh, breed locusts that don't go crazy and go swarm crops. So that, that I think is a nice touch. Actually, it brought, it brought the supernatural back to a reality that was grounded enough that like, Oh, that's actually cool. You're seeing like a spiritual version of someone, but again, there's, it's too disconnected from the rest of the movie to matter. Number one, I still don't know why, that's part of the mm -hmm. movie. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with the actual final elements of the film at all. Um, right. And also- I almost it, felt like it was sort of like, because he like failed the test. Yeah. It felt almost like, oh, he failed the test of faith. So now you get like this other version of reality. That would be interesting. That's, and see, they could yeah. have done things like that. Um, I felt like they were grasping at that. Yeah. Or like, you know, it, 
or there was potential, but they were mm. actually doing something much clumsier that my brain was trying to fill in and be like, no, they're doing yes. something cool. And yes. it was like, really, they they weren't. But like, it it felt almost like they were, he was like, oh, you failed. So here's this other version of reality where he's just like a scientist, like yeah. doing th- this somewhat parallel thing to what he would have done if he was a shaman that's that's a very interesting concept and i like that and but as you said it's sort of it's us trying to find a reason rhyme or reason um this is a good time i think to talk about the the script situation that occurred so um the original script was written by william goodhart william goodhart was a playwright primarily um he did write several films uh he wrote um, he's credited with writing this film, but he wrote a cloud dancer in 1980 and he wrote a play, which he then turned into a screenplay, uh, called generation from 1969. And it was a, a fairly well-received, um, sort of comedy about, um, a, a, a father and his pregnant daughter. So anyway, so, so that was sort of his, um, his claim and i believe that the the theater run if i'm i could be mistaken on this but i believe that um what is his name is it peter fonda who who i think starred in that play production so i mean it was a kind of a big deal um but he wrote the script and according to linda blair linda blair signed on for the film because originally she had turned down the uh the film because william friedkin and William Peter Blatty had tried to come up with concepts for a sequel and decided they couldn't think of anything that would be appropriate. They, so they, they said no, and they walked away from it and left it. Uh, but Warner Brothers wanted to do the sequel because money. Uh, so they kept trying to get Linda Blair, and she said no. They tried to get um, you know the re- much of the rest of the cast from the first film. They said no. And finally, Linda Blair said they came to me with a script, and it was good. And I said, you know what? Okay, I'll sign on. Uh, But that was the original script by um, uh, William Goodall and, excuse me, Goodhart. And then it was rewritten heavily and pieced together by uh, director John Borman and Rospo Pallenberg. Now, Rospo Pallenberg actually ended up directing a a large portion of this film for John Borman, even though he never directed uh, a feature before, because... Borman fell ill. Uh, he had, uh, I think it was, it was a viral infection, uh, a lung thing, perhaps. But anyway, uh, he he was like, "Well, you you can do it. You can do it." And to to his credit, he had written, or after this, I guess, written um, a fair number of successful films with John Borman. Um, he'd done Deliverance before this. Uh, he was on the script, Excalibur, etc. So he wasn't a nobody, but he was not. Uh, familiar i guess he was he was inexperienced so that was one issue that people had problems with i guess in the cast and crew but again they wanted to finish the film but because they rewrote it william goodart did not want anything to do with it and also he didn't really have a chance to do anything with it um and linda blair said that unfortunately she was then locked into the contract and the script was trash and uh which i believe because of the final product is such a mess thematically and narratively like it's all over the place i can't tell what was originally part of the plot and what was crammed in shoehorned in scenes don't go anywhere they have a a, they bring up one concept and then it goes out the window and uh it was a problem so what kind of job did her mom have 
she's an actress, I think, right? From oh, okay. Yeah, and they don't they don't mention that. I mean, that is in this that it is in the original. Like, it seemed like it, but like they only well, barely. They, they, it doesn't really make they, sense, but her mom's always gone, and there's someone else that takes care they, of her. They couldn't get like, they couldn't get what? the mother, uh, and yeah. she refused to do it. And she's very uh, you know famous actress. It's Chris McNeil. Uh, she she played the mother. And they couldn't get her, so they got her 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 maid essentially. Um, and I think yeah. was it was Kitty Wynn. Yeah, Kitty Wynn was was the maid. And but it doesn't make sense. It's very frustrating because you don't know why they don't even say she's on a shoot, and so yeah. that's why. Which is kind of that would be perfect, right? I mean, that's yeah. what happens. Um, and and she was being taken care of. Instead, they give Sharon the the sort of just she's just a worried nursemaid who doesn't seem to really yeah. do anything um she right. wakes you know uh regan up in the morning and regan is I, there's just no there's fucking tap scene in this by the way so apparent according to linda blair john borman said early on uh regan has to tap and she said yeah regan doesn't fucking tap uh and uh but she for whatever reason ended up going learning tap for this which she then said she actually enjoyed um to learn tap but why is it in this movie mm -hmm. i'll tell you the one reason why it's in this movie because uh linda blair had developed a large chest was sort of known for it and so they put her in a braless skimpy like sport top and had mm -hmm. her bounce on tap for a random scene now at this point in time in the in the plot regan is underage i think she's like 17 or somewhere 16 yeah. 17 something like that uh in the the you know the 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 chronology of the film and if that's not kind of weird enough um it just it doesn't fit it's just such a weird scene like i don't know if john borman was like being kickbacked by some sort of tap initiative because tap was very big in the the late 80s like every, every i know every boy was like oh I'm taking tap um it was yeah. a strange it was a strange strange thing um to, to have in this movie and i think and i mean she was only i think she was 18 at the time of this film's release so uh just a weird it just gave a weird vibe they also in the script which in a more in a more gritty, intense film, it would have made sense. But they wanted, um, during Father Lamont's sort of fall in the climax, which literally takes place in a crumbling set piece of that original house, which they couldn't use. They couldn't use any of the original locations because The Exorcist had such a cursed concept and such a connotation with uh, the devil and, and, and Satan uh, that nobody would allow them to use this the original shooting set so they had to rebuild the house and i it you can tell it doesn't really look it's fine but it doesn't look like the house you know it's not the case you know it, it looks like it's there to be destroyed and sure enough it's destroyed but in that final scene uh father lamont sort of gives in to bazuzu and they wanted him to uh essentially rape uh regan's character in the house where the original exorcism happened I mean, I could see that the whole point is it's evil. I can see that happening in a better script, but Linda Blair said, absolutely not, not going to happen. Oh, not yeah. fucking doing it. Uh, totally understand. Totally, totally get it. I fully respect that. And had they had intimacy coordinators, I think they would have backed that up at the time, but he does sort of like get on top of her, but it's not her in the, in the, this version of the script. 
they go, this doesn't make any sense, but they go back to the original house and I guess spoiler alert, but nothing leads to anything else with any sort of um, understanding of the cause and effect. They go back to the original house because that's where it started. Don't know why I would think it started in Africa, uh, but where, where Pazuzu was right uh, somewhere over there. Uh, but sure enough, it apparently is linked to her house, which Father Lamont brings them to. Sharon's there. Sharon bursts into flame for some God knows reason uh, and burns because apparently Pazuzu has the power to do that somehow, even though he... He's a wind spirit. He's a wind spirit. He couldn't do that before. It just, it was, there was no rhyme or reason. Like it was an interesting effect, no rhyme or reason. And then we have uh, Father Lamont losing it and trying to mount the de the demon version of Linda Blair's character, which is actually a body double because she refused to get in the makeup again. The makeup's fine, but it's not as good as the original makeup. Uh, but she's Linda Blair goes upstairs, and there is herself on the bed in the demon form. And I thought the first time I'd watched this, and because it'd been so long ago, the second time I watched it for this podcast that that was in their brain somehow, right? Because why would there be a physical manifestation of the demon here? Because it's it's not a physical, it has to possess a body. That's kind of the concept, right, mm -hmm. of, of possession and why it's so scary. But that's not the case. It's physically there mm -hmm. and it's defeated by um, Father Lamont trying to uh, ravage her and then the floor collapsing and, uh, and the demon falling through the floor because that makes sense. Um, you know uh uh science religion nothing, nothing could destroy the demon um but a minor fall from the second floor of a small bungalow uh was mm -hmm. was it that that mm -hmm. took the whole thing down yeah it, it was terrible it was a terrible ending it was not satisfying not only was it not satisfying it was weirdly paced it, it you have a movie that doesn't have a lot of action and then you slam in this clumsy set piece I think I, I just don't know what the original You didn't even get like a moment where we're like, which one's the real girl? No, they didn't even like, like it could have been there could have been you could have handled that so much better. Like you could have done the old classic thing like Pazuzu has now taken control of Father Lamont, is is uh you know, is guiding his what he sees so much that he sees the demon as Regan and goes to yeah. consummate his relationship with the demon, but it's really the real life Regan and she's struggling mm -hmm. against him. And that is, uh, yes, it's been done before, but at least it makes sense. And it's somewhat intellectual. There's some sort of mm -hmm. purpose behind it, but we don't get that. We get nothing that's connected to anything. So even with the removal of the ridiculous uh, sort of MacGuffin device of the, the brain like synthesizer thing which you know you can see in a much more i think well executed version in say stranger things with 11 psychic powers having to go into sensory deprivation to reach out you know it's been done a million times but it's it's so clumsily handled and should never have been in here to begin with and if it was you could have just used hypnosis and not had the concept of people entering her dreams like you could have had her just like go into hypnosis and then describe it and then the people listening become invested. Like you could have had some sort of supernatural mm -hmm. element replace the so ridiculously unbelievable scientific bit. Mm. It's it's a clusterfuck of a film. Uh, it really is. And Linda Blair 
said she got along very well with Richard Burton. Richard Burton does, I think, a very poor job in this movie. He he said afterward, he's like, it was a paycheck film. He was going through the divorce with Elizabeth Taylor at the time. And uh, Linda Blair said he was heavily drinking and would show up on set drunk quite a bit. Linda Blair herself at this time was in her heavy drug use period and was late to set every day. Uh, I believe uh, in John, I think John, John Borman's book on his, his films uh, and, and experience in, in the industry uh, said that she once came and was proud because she was only 10 minutes late. She herself said it was 20 minutes late. Uh, mm -hmm. I, as someone who is chronically late, I can, I can attest that is a feeling we sometimes get, but it was kind of, it reminded me, which we haven't talked about on this pod, but we absolutely will. Uh, it reminded me of the Super Mario Brothers movie, the original, I think 1993 one, where people on set were so unhappy with the directors, the, the husband, wife director team that, uh, they would be combative. I believe John Leguizamo and Bob Hoskins, who played Mario and Luigi, would get drunk in their trailer every day and go to set completely wasted. Um, mm -hmm. And and sometimes Bob Hoskins wouldn't come uh, out. And so it just that kind of insane, troubled production uh, fiasco element. This was originally conceived by Warner Brothers as a throwaway rehash, a cheap uh, by 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 movie house. Uh, movie production studio standards, a cheap film, and they wanted uh, Creedkin and Blatty to just rehash the whole thing. And they said, absolutely not, we're out. Um, so then they're like, well, we'll we'll do more. Um, but they ended up getting a big cast, right? A good cast. So they're like, okay, they, we'll, we'll highbrow it then, but it's still going to be fairly cheap. Well, then after all this stuff had happened, people were under contract, all the deal, they we're still trying to get locations and they couldn't get the locations. So that added like 5 million to the budget because they had to build the sets. Um, and I assume only the set of the house. So I don't, who, you know, whatever. Uh, and also they didn't give you the famous shot really convincingly of the original exorcist where, um, you know, your, your exorcist priest is standing at the base of the stairs and just in silhouette with fog and the green light. Like it's so iconic. And why would you rebuild the house set if you can't perfectly execute that same shot? Just mm. ridiculous. So anyway, John Borman did not was not given a lot of credit for this movie, and I think it's well deserved. Uh, he said this was his, in my opinion, radical misunderstanding of why audience didn't like this movie. He said it's because he didn't uh, embrace the gore uh, and and basically violence of the original feature, which is funny because. Those of us who watch The Exorcist, it is not gory. Um, it is there is disturbing content. Linda Blair yeah. um, at one point violently masturbates with a crucifix. Um, there, you know, vomiting, um, really terrifying makeup and shot. Like it's very mm -hmm. scary. It's it's a very unnerving film. But there is not a, a great deal of gore. It's very much um, a heart attack or being knocked out a window. Like it, it's mm -hmm. so that's a huge misunderstanding of why it's it's a cop out. Basically, basically mm -hmm. he tries to say, I, um, I wanted to make something positive and highbrow, but the audience just wanted um, uh, violent exploitation, which is hot garbage because he gave a film that one actually has more graphic scenes, Sharon mm -hmm. burning to death in the open air and her skin melting off. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's much more graphic. Uh, so it's ridiculous. Um, most people who criticize 
other people's films, especially sequels to their own films, are, I would say, I would say they they tend to be not extremely nasty about it. Um, William Friedkin did not did not approach this in this way. Um, he actually said in an interview uh, <laughs> that let me find i gotta find the actual quote what is what is said to be his quote here um there's quite a few ridiculous things um yeah so william friedkin watched um a half hour of an early cut um apparently because uh he was working at technicolor where they were um cutting you know uh produce what would you call it? Um, exposing and producing the print for the film. And he's like, it's terrible. Uh, he, he compared it to seeing a traffic accident. Um, and then he says, it was horrible. It's just a stupid mess made by a dumb guy. Sir John Borman by name, somebody who should be nameless, but in this case should be named. Scurrilous, a horrible picture. Uh, that's pretty bold. It's sort of like if, if Martin Scorsese came out and... Um, let's pick someone said uh, uh, James Gunn said, or D David Goyer said, um, they're an idiot. They're terrible at making films. They shouldn't be famous. And I have no problem mentioning their name because they just have no business making a movie. Um, plenty of people may think other filmmakers, that's true of them, but I, I don't know too many, too many who actually would say that. And that was, um, that was contemporary to the film's release. So anyway, it was pretty terrible. It was horribly received. John Borman was recutting cut, like recutting prints while it was in theaters, uh, a la Cats, uh, because it was so terrible. Apparently the original original cuts run time was about three hours and they cut it down for distribution. I'm curious to see the three hours because I have a feeling we might at least get a couple more snippets of the original concepts in this movie, but it's- Oh, maybe they'll explain the fire in the basement. Yeah, I don't. There is a second like, cut that's been released. Yeah, the fire in the basement. It's just she's like psychic just too. Like, oh, there's a fire in the like. There's a fire somewhere. Let's go check the basement. There's like a random box of toys. It's like on fire. How did that even happen? It doesn't and, make and like, any sense. Yeah, and Linda Blair drew a picture of a house of like a fire, and that's how when she yeah. was in a trance, a, a dream meditative state yeah. because of the machine. And yeah, it doesn't make sense. No. Um, it's almost, I wonder sometimes if they were trying to do like a meta concept of, because as I said, some of the stories circulating around the Exorcist original release is that Prince in various places caught fire, um, mm. sort of increasing its legend. And mm -hmm. that was, you know, maybe that was a concept, but it's just so many things are not explained. So many things just yeah. happen because I do think if this film, because especially if some of the, someone said phantasmagoric, uh, imagery, which I think is appropriate. There's a few moments of that, like the locusts, um, et cetera, the, the fast, any scene with James Earl Jones, uh, as you said, there's sort of a failed yeah. test feeling where um, uh, past uh, priest Lamont is supposed to approach James Earl Jones um, sort of mystic version of himself with faith. Mm -hmm. And instead he falls into a pit of water and spikes Um indicating i guess that his faith has been broken and he's entered some sort of mm -hmm. pact bargain with this demon and uh there's there's moments that are actually quite visually good 
I think that that's true. Um, I don't think that it's fair to say John Borman can't direct a shot. Uh, it is probably not true. I mean, he has made several successful films, several films that uh, many of us have enjoyed. I mean, I think Deliverance is actually a decent film. But every this is why directors do not always make a movie better when they think they're writers. They don't. Some do, some don't. It's, I had this, if you've gone to film school or in my case, uh, fiction writing uh, school at a film school. And so you've ended up working with numerous directors. It is, I remember this, I, I unfortunately forget his name, but a playwright, I probably quoted it on this pod before. He said, somebody asked him uh, at a conference, what is it like to see your someone bring your script to life on the main stage. And he said, it's like being flayed alive every night. Mm. And, and because it's so not the original vision, right? The, the mm -hmm. nature of filmmaking is somewhat collaborative. You, unless you're writing and directing, and even then, you're not always running the camera, right? You trust mm -hmm. your cinematographer to do certain things, right? You trust your cast, mm -hmm. you trust light, you trust all these things. You can only control so much as one person. And mm -hmm. I can only imagine that this movie has that to an extreme degree. Everybody who is mm -hmm. in it says they're disappointed in it. There were some defenders. Um, two defenders of it i don't think either of them said it's a fantastic film i think that would be ridiculous um, but they said there were merits of it were martin scorsese and quentin tarantino this doesn't surprise me i think they're both incredible mm -hmm. filmmakers i think martin scorsese is probably one of the greatest american filmmakers ever I i'm pretty sure i don't even think that that's really arguable at this point but just because there are elements that are quite interesting does not a good film make. It's a bad movie. Um, the people that tended to defend from a critical standpoint this film were ones that were radically against the original film. Uh, mm -hmm. It was like uh, Pauline Kael, who is a, a, a well-known but often uh, oppositional film critic, often defended films that other critics were like, this is god-awful. He, she, she loved it. She said she loved this film. She said that it was too cadenced and exotic and too deliriously complicated to succeed with most audiences, i.e. you're too stupid to enjoy this film if you don't like it, which is such a funny way. It's such a ridiculously defensive way to promote the the virtues of a movie, right? You're, it's 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 like saying, of course I lost the election. You're all idiots. It may be true in some cases, but saying it is certainly not going to win you any arguments. Um, no. She said also, it's uh, she called it winged camp, a horror fairy tale gone wild, uh, a king-size folly with enough visual magic for a dozen good movies. I would actually say that that's not off the mark. There are so, we've talked about the fact that it's such a mishmash of scenes and concepts that it's... Um, incoherent i do think you could have pulled several of those elements and any one of them could have been turned into a movie i have long said that it would like the new exorcist believer movie which i think was abysmal i was so disappointed it actually starts fairly strong with a good setup and i i liked the recent halloween trilogy i think that some of the risks they took at least were interesting and as a big halloween fan who adores the original uh two films it just and even and four and five uh excuse me one two and four five terrible anyway 
to have the exorcist believer commit so many of the same sins this movie did moving away from catholicism and the catholic imagery having things happen for no reason the demon the demons have power over physical things that they never would have had in the original exorcist because it's beyond the pale it makes it who cares like if you can't figure out the laws of the world why do i care right nothing feels real um the twist is not a twist it's a bad movie um they they drop the ball on every level and this movie is much better because of it i will say that i actually dislike this film a great deal less because i saw what those same mistakes it makes could have been they could have been so much worse so that's a complicated way of saying i think this movie would have been an interesting cult film that i could have actually gotten behind as at least a fascinating mess had it not been attached to the exorcist if you had had it completely unrelated there's a girl she finds out later that she had been possessed as a child and these strange dreams are what triggers her to to seek therapy you could have had an interesting story albeit a night it could have been a decent exorcist ripoff of which there are many right especially at the time but because it's tied to the greatest in my opinion and many others the greatest catholic horror film the greatest possession and exorcism film of all time uh, and a direct follow-up to it it was just a, it was just a nightmare it's it's like if they followed up barbie with uh, a hypersexualized action film starring barbie right just it would be terrible people would absolutely you know um riot against it as it broke all of the tenets that made the original um valuable and fascinating and unique so mandy <laughs> this is like yet again one of my diatribes on this would you recommend the exorcist to the heretic to anyone if so why and to who and if not why oh man i i don't even really have anything quippy for this like it's just like no it's just a mess it's confusing it's i mean there's some good production value and interesting stuff like you said with the imagery but in general it's like so disjointed yeah that it doesn't make it that even as background type stuff to have on like it's a skip like just skip it just yeah watch the I, third one right that makes yeah. this one not happen it erases absolutely. all sins absolutely it's and the third one and read the books the first exorcist novel is quite excellent and it it very much is akin to the movie i mean william both both first and third uh william peter blatty adapted his own novels to the screenplays i think quite successfully Mm -hmm. Uh, especially watch the the legion the the preferred cut of the director's cut of exorcist three although i think they're both quite good but the the original Mm -hmm. is much better thematically and narratively but I guess I would recommend this film to super fans of The Exorcist only after they've watched all of the other films, excluding Exorcist Believers. You can watch it, but it's just going to make you mad. Um, But if you watch this film, I mean, the original Exorcist, jump right to three, and then you can get that 2000s flair like you were talking about in a decent way Mm -hmm. with Exorcist the beginning. And then you can watch what I think is a higher brow film, uh, a Dominion prequel to The Exorcist interesting factoid because i don't know when we'll return to the world of the exorcist here uh about exorcist the beginning which was released in theaters and dominion which was released direct to video is dominion was being made first 
And the studio was scared about what was coming out. And so they hired, without telling that director, they didn't cancel the film. It was already in production. They hired another filmmaker to make the more, probably, I would, yes, it's a more mainstream version uh, called The Exorcist the begin, uh, Beginnings. And I don't think Exorcist the Beginning is bad. I actually enjoy that film. Uh, I do think Dominion is smarter. It's more fascinating. But it's also, again, falls victim to what The Exorcist 3 did, which is it doesn't have enough, you know, explosive, you know, monster kind of vibe. Um, so I know why they did that. But the the director of the of Dominion was quite heartbroken and enraged when he found out that not only did they not trust the film, but they were not going to release it in theaters uh, after they told him that. So Exorcist is a crazy, crazy franchise with all sorts of, of trouble stories. Um, I'm very curious to hear what comes out about Exorcist. Um, believers, because I have a feeling there is quite a troubled background of that, although it could just be a bad movie. There's just uh, time will tell. But otherwise, skip The Exorcist 2, uh, unless there's a fan cut that removes Regan and all references to the original film, of which there's really not that many other than Regan's presence and the name Pazuzu. You could take those out and make a film and it would be like an interesting little B movie. Um mm. But yeah, it's a bad movie. Uh, it it deserves to be reviled as sort of an almost franchise killer. I mean, it did kill the franchise for 20, you know, for almost, for what, 15, 13 years at least. Uh, mm. But does it exist as one of the worst films of all time? I do think that's putting it a little far. I think it's drawn the most, some of the most ire of sequels of all time and deservedly so. It's not a good movie. Um are there a couple of things to enjoy? Sure. Is it the worst film ever? Of course not. Uh, that doesn't make it good. So if that in any way sounds good to you, feel free to watch this movie. I don't think it probably does. Thank you so much for listening to Colton Classic Films Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this and all the extra stuff. Uh, if you do watch The Exorcist 2, um, enjoy the scene where Father Lamont goes to the uh, mountainside monastery. In, in It's in somewhere in Africa I apologize for not remembering where they're supposed to have put this but enjoy the cast of black people that they got to dance in <laughs> uh, I can only imagine they said uh, dance like natives which is right away offensive I'm putting the words into their mouth but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was it uh, but what's wonderful is that they dance as though they are at a 70s club so it looks like um, it looks like sort of the costuming from the Moroccan characters in Casablanca um, doing like, I don't know, step, shuffle, shuffle, disco. Like it's just, it's goofball. So enjoy that. That's a fun moment. Thank you all so much. Please go to coltonclassicfilms.com, sign up for a newsletter and buy our films. We release films from ultra low budget filmmakers, many of which we've talked about on this podcast in collectors and regular Blu-ray editions. They're exclusive to us in those forums and they are super inexpensive. And what's best is they, uh, not only do they help us continue, but money goes directly to the filmmakers for every copy we sell. So we are not simply taking money uh, saying, we'll get your movie out there like a lot of distributors do. Uh, I'm not going to name names at this moment, but it's a, it's a nice thing to do and you'll enjoy the movies. They're super fun. They're super bonkers. They're uh, super things you will not find anywhere else. 
So go to cultandclassicfilms.com and do that or patreon.com slash cultandclassicfilms where you can find that and all sorts of things. You can also get exclusive uh, pre-shows and sometimes post-show content from our recordings, which is a lot of fun. Uh, sometimes the funniest things happen there. I know you're like, well, why didn't you put it in the pod? Well, can't do everything. But you get that as a member, even if you only subscribe for five bucks. Thank you so much. Please listen next week when we talk part two of Priest in Peril, 2018's banana sandwich film, Velocipaster. Uh, and to play us out as always is the Chud with All About Evil. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.